Let's open our Bibles, please, to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, hopefully you've got an outline sheet. Not that the sheet itself um, has that much uh, additional information on it. It doesn't uh, have much information at all. But it's got a lot lot of space for you to write write things. Uh, And I'd encourage you to do that because we... We uh, remember some things we hear, we forget a lot. We remember more things that we write down. So uh, just an encourage to uh, uh, write something down that you need to remember. <coughs> the Hebrew Christians <coughs> had begun to drift, to drift away from where they had been. And the purpose of Hebrews chapter 11 is to direct them back again to the kind of people which they had previously been mentioned at the end of chapter 10, specifically verses 32 and through to 34. That is, they were believing people. They were compassionate people who were willing to deny themselves and to put themselves out for the sake of others, even if it meant the confiscation of their goods and property. And they endured that gladly. They endured that joyfully because they were persuaded that in heaven they have better substance, an abiding substance which cannot be taken away, that thieves can't steal and worms can't corrupt. Now that's what the Hebrew Christians had been like in their former days. And yet as the author writes to them, they are at the point of, and this is the reason he writes to them, because they are at the point of departing from the pathway of faith. It's too hard. We've been on this pathway too long. It's too hard. We need to get off. We've had enough. Let's go back to Judaism. It wasn't nearly as hard as this. In verse 35, the author says, don't cast away your confidence. You know, the confidence you have that in heaven there is a great reward for you. Okay, you, you were confident of that and that confidence manifests itself practically. You're willing to endure all kinds of things because of that confidence. Don't cast away that confidence. That there is a great recompense of reward coming for you who remain faithful. Don't cast away your confidence. In verse 36 he says, you have need of patience. You have need of endurance. Okay, It's not a sprint. It is a long race. You need to keep on keeping on. You have need of patience. You need to keep going until the end. You need to keep going until the Lord returns, verse 37. And he is coming. He is coming. He will not tarry. Don't worry about that. Don't think the Lord's forgotten about you or about coming. But you need to keep going. Verse 38. You need to persevere in faith. Don't draw back. Don't turn aside from the pathway of faith. The whole of your Christian life is to be characterised by faith. Not just the beginning. Not just the beginning and the middle. 
the whole of your Christian life, beginning, middle, and all the way to the end, is to be characterized by this continual perseverance in faith. The just shall live, shall live by faith, it says in verse 38. Which is not some new idea that the author of Hebrews has dreamed up. He's actually quoting from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And it wasn't a new concept with Habakkuk either, because Habakkuk was merely articulating a theme that runs through the Bible from beginning to end. And chapter 11 illustrates that beautifully. By faith, Abel, all the way back then, all the way back at the beginning, God's people were people of faith, always have been, always will be. And what the Hebrew Christians needed to do was no different from what God's people always need to do which is no different from what we need to do. We who have been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we need to live by faith, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Now, as it turns out, that verse in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 is a very important one. Just three simple phrases. The just shall live by faith. Three very simple phrases, yet very, very important. So important is this phrase that the Holy Spirit gave us three books of the Bible to help us to understand those three phrases. Those books are the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, and the book of Hebrews. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 is quoted in the beginning of Romans. Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 is quoted in the middle of the book of Galatians. Galatians 3.11, the just shall live by faith. And Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 is quoted towards the end of Or the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. And even as the verse is comprised of three phrases, each of those three books emphasize and expound one of those three phrases. For example, the book of Romans tells us who the just are and how they got that way. Galatians describes just how the just are to live. The just shall live by faith, Galatians says, not under the law, but under grace. Not in license, but in liberty. Not according to the flesh, but after the spirits. Not by works, but by faith. Galatians tells us how we are to live under grace, in liberty, after the spirit, by faith. And then Hebrews emphasizes and illustrates the faith that just people are to live by. And that phrase, by faith or through faith, occurs 
something like 20 times in Hebrews chapter 11. Well, what does it mean to live by faith? Hebrews 11 will explain that to us in great detail. Verses 1 to 3 provide a description of faith. And then the rest of the chapter, that is verses 4 through 40, provide with us with numerous demonstrations of faith. Let's read the first three verses again. Hebrews 11 from verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So the chapter begins with some general observations on the nature of faith. These verses don't really constitute a formal definition of faith. Rather, it gives us a general description of faith, calling our attention to some significant features. Verse 1 starts out, Now faith is... Notice the third word in that phrase is the verb is. The Greek word is esten. It's the third word in our English translation, but in the Greek text, it's actually the first word. The sentence begins with the word is. And we don't usually do that in English unless we're asking a question. Is it cold outside? But Greek, unlike English, is in many respects... um, Not sure what... But Greek is unlike English in many respects. And that is, in this respect, that the, the writer in Greek is much freer in the arrangement of words than we are in English. Sometimes the writer of Scripture in Greek will leave an important word right to the very, very end of the sentence. And they'll do that for emphasis. Da, 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 bang at the end. Or... For emphasis, the, ent- the, uh, the writer might start a sentence with a very significant word and thus you know, shove it in your face as the first thought as we develop it further. But both of those grammatical features are known as <clears throat> the emphatic position that is deliberately and somewhat unnaturally leaving a word until the very end or deliberately and somewhat unnaturally putting the word at the very, very beginning. It's done for emphasis. And what the author is doing here, by opening this section with the word is, the emphasis is on something that that is. He's emphasizing something which is a present, continuous, ongoing reality. This is what is. He's not talking about some virtue which was beneficial back in antiquity. Or something that was only needful at the beginning, but not useful now. No, he's talking about a continuing thing, a way of life. He wants to see it continue in daily practice of his readers. Something continuous. And that is, this is 
This is what you need. This, this is something that exists, an ongoing walk of faith. Now, in the first three verses, we're told that faith is four things. And I'd like us to consider just two of those tonight. Firstly, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, let's just define some of the terms in that phrase. <clears throat> let's think about the difference between the word faith and the word hope. Or the difference, the difference between belief and hope. Let's just imagine that you are <coughs> summoned to be part of a jury. You've been called up for jury duty and the case before you is that of a 13-year-old who has been accused of murder. The evidence is presented, and as you consider the evidence, in your mind, the verdict is, is guilty. And so the judge asks, asks the, the jury, you a member of the jury, what is your verdict? And in your mind, you say, I, I believe I believe he's guilty. But you don't say, I hope he's guilty. Faith or belief is a firm persuasion, whereas hope is a confident expectation of good. Plenty of room on your sheet to write the definitions because you'll probably forget it. Faith Belief is a firm persuasion. Hope, on the other hand, is a confident expectation of good. And then we also have the word substance. The English word substance translated the Greek word hypostasis. Hypostasis is a noun compounded of two smaller words, hypot meaning under, and stasis meaning to stand. So hypostasis is very simply that which stands under or something which is placed under. It's usually translated by the word confidence. And the picture which we see is of something solid under the feet which enables someone to proceed with confidence, to proceed with assurance. This morning, after the service, uh, I was talking with someone about the, uh, the youth camp beginning tomorrow, and I reflected that I used to be part of those, uh, not anymore. I'm, I'm too old uh, for those kinds of uh, boisterous activities. Um, <clears throat> but back, back in the day, youth camps, and also, I remember taking the young people to Treetops Adventure Park. Uh, that is a, a, ro a high ropes course in the, high up in the trees up there in the central coast. And you follow this rope course through the trees. And sometimes you're a long way off the ground. And to say that some of the young people were quite tentative as they're walking very, very high on a rope above the ground would be uh, an understatement. Not at all confident as they shuffle along this tightrope 
high in the air. But when they get their feet, when you get your feet back on solid ground, then you're able to proceed confidently. Terra firma is the Latin expression. The Greek equivalent is hypostasis. Something solid placed under, providing confidence. Foundation is a good way to describe the concept. So here, Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is described as being the substance, a foundation, firm ground, ground of assurance of things hoped for. It's foundation upon which the structure of hope is built. I think you can visualise that. Here we've got a foundation. It's called faith. And on that solid foundation of faith, we can erect this thing called hope. Confident expectation of good because of the assurance upon which it's based. Now you can certainly see this is the case back in chapter 10 verse 34 where we see that the Hebrew Christians were so confident of the hope of heaven that they didn't even care what happened to their earthly possessions. They lost them all and it was all joy to them because they were confident in the hope of heaven. They had a better inheritance in heaven. Now upon what does that confidence rest? What ground provides them with such hope? Well, such hope is based upon the foundation, the ground of faith. It's faith, the firm persuasion, the firm assurance of the fact of heaven that enables and sustains such hope, such confident expectation of good. I believe in heaven, therefore I have this hope of heaven. Hope rests upon faith. And today we, we talk about people who are full of hope or people who are full of despair. The issue is that it's a faith issue right there. It's a faith issue there. Because hope rests upon faith. And if there's no faith, there's no ground for hope. And so if we find ourselves in despair, what's called for is, is a faith check. There's a faith issue. Now I think that's I find that very helpful to understand. But what I think is even helps us even further is when we discover that this word hypostasis, translated substance, meaning foundation, it's also a legal term. Archaeological research has discovered that this word hypostasis was used to describe a title deed. Greek scholars Moulton and Millikan report that it stands, quote, for the whole body of documents bearing on the ownership of a person's property deposited in archives and forming legal proof of ownership. And so an alternate translation, which I think is enlightening, could be, now faith is the title deed of things hoped for. And I think it's a great aid to our understanding. Faith is the title deed. The things that we hope for. If I was to tell you that I bought an investment property in the Gold Coast, I think for obvious reasons you'd be concerned about the truthfulness of 
what I'm saying. I, just to assure my wife I haven't done that, okay? But to validate the truthfulness of my words, to provide proof of ownership, all I'd need to do is to produce a title deed. A title deed is the legal proof of ownership. Now, we like to think about heaven, about the place that the Lord is preparing for us, about our dwelling place in God's eternal home. We like to think about our inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for us. We like to think about our glorified bodies that we'll receive when we get to heaven. This vile body shall be changed, fashioned like under the glorious body of Christ. This mortal puts on immortality, this corruption puts on incorruption. We like to think about seeing the Lord face to face. These are all different aspects of the believer's hope. Now someone might ask, how do you know there's a place reserved in heaven for you? How do you know that in heaven you have a better and enduring substance? How do you know that you'll get a glorified body? How do you know that you'll see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face? All of those things, they may be true for some, but what makes you so sure that they all belong to you? How can you prove that those things which you hope for are actually yours? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the title deed for the things hoped for. Faith is the proof of ownership that all those things belong to us. The title deed for all the things that we hope for as Christians is faith. The title deed for everything contained in our inheritance in Christ is faith. It's all mine because I believe in Christ. It can all be yours if you believe in Christ. Now let's be very clear, faith is not the currency that purchased those things. Our salvation and everything in it, every blessing associated with it, is purchased by the precious blood of Christ. We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Christ is the currency that purchased all of those things for us. But the human response that makes it possible for us to receive all of those things that the blood of Christ purchase for us the human response is faith so that's the first thing we learn from verse one about faith and how vital it is no wonder peter calls it precious faith it's the foundation upon which all of our hopes rest it's the title deed which proves that all these wonderful things can be ours now faith is the title deed of unrealized possessions. Faith brings the future into the realm of the present. But then verse 1 goes on to say a second thing that faith is. It's the evidence of things not seen. The word evidence means proof. Faith is the proof of things not seen. 
How do you prove things that can't be seen? Well, air can't be seen unless you go to LA and then you see it's brown smog. I'm just joking. Air can't be seen and yet there are ways to prove that air does exist. Scientists may tell you several ways of proving the existence of air, but one way that I can think of is to deprive a living thing of the invisible thing called air and see what happens. You could do that in a lab. You could put a living thing, uh, like a rat or a plant, in an airtight container, and by means of a mechanical device, you could create a vacuum to remove the air. Or because it's an airtight container, all you need to do is not replace the air that the living thing used. And the result is that it would die. And so there are ways of proving the existence of things that are invisible. We can't see gravity. We can see what it does. We can demonstrate how it operates. We can clearly show evidence and proof that this unseen thing called gravity really does exist. Now, we can't see God. But how do we show the evidence? How do we prove? How do we produce the proof that God exists? Now, often, when people ask us, for evidence of God, we are inclined to point them in two directions. One is towards creation. We say creation is evidence of the existence of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And the invisible things of God are understood by the things that are made. His eternal power and Godhead, which are things which are invisible because his being is invisible, these things are clearly seen and revealed by the things that God has made. All we need to do is look around us at creation. We see the proof. We see the evidence. It's there for all people to see. And so evident is it and so obvious is it that people ought to acknowledge it. And if they don't, God will hold them accountable because they're without excuse. The evidence is there for everyone to see. So creation is one realm of evidence that we can use as proof of the existence of God. But another evidence for the existence of God that we can often draw people's attention to is the Bible. Without question, the Bible is a supernatural book. There's no other way to describe, to accurately account for the existence of God this book. There's no other way to account for the contents of this book other than the fact that there is a God in heaven who gave it to us. It's not the kind of book that a man would write if he could or could write if he would. The fulfillment of prophecy, the unity of theme, the exhaustless content, the central and dominating message all these things argue for the supernatural origin of the book and the existence of a supernatural author being God. So there are two ways that we can put evidence on the table before unbelievers that argues for the 
existence of a God who can't be seen. But notice that the second part of Hebrews 11 verse 1 doesn't mention either of those two things as being evidence for a God who can't be seen. Now without question those two things are evidences. But the author of Hebrews here directs our attention to something else, something different. What is it that provides evidence for the existence of things that can't be seen? Like God, like the Holy Spirit, like heaven, like the gospel. Faith, he says, is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the proof of things not seen. Our faith, our trusting obedience, sends a very, very clear message to people around us that God exists and that Jesus saves and the Holy Spirit lives within us and heaven is our home. That things unseen are a true reality. Faith brings the invisible into the realm of the seen. Faith brings the invisible into the realm of the seen. Abel's faith, verse 4, resulted in him offering a right kind of sacrifice to God. And that kind of faith and that kind of offering provides evidence of a God who is real, he's invisible, that he does exist, and that he will pardon guilty sinners on the basis of a blood atonement. And in the same way, our faith and the kind of worship that we ascribe to God sends out a very, very clear message to the world that God is real and this is the kind of God that he is. And we offer appropriate worship, worship which is appropriate to God, worship which is pure because God is holy. Worship which is reverent because we, there is a God who is to be feared. Worship that is our very, very best because God is not capricious. Worship which is sincere because God is worthy. Worship which is true because God is not a liar. We preach the gospel because this is the kind of God that he is. We preach about a God who pardons guilty sinners on the basis of an atoning work. This is the kind of God he is and we give evidence to that by our faith and the way that we worship. Enoch's faith in verse 5 enabled him to live a life that was especially pleasing to God in a godless environment. And that kind of faith and that kind of daily life in the midst of great wickedness provides a very, very powerful evidence that there's a God who is real. And in the same way, our faith and the way that we walk with God each day in the midst of a wicked and perverse society sends a very, very clear message to the world that that there is a God who is real. I mean, why else do we live like this? Why else will we conduct ourselves in this way, in this environment? Why else do we read the Bible 
listening to what God's saying to us? Why else do we pray constantly, talking to God? Why is it that we have this relationship with God? Why is it that we walk with God? Noah's faith, verse 7, enabled him to build an ark in a place where there was no ocean, in a place where they had never seen rain before, let alone had a flood. What kind, that kind of faith, And that kind of obedience and that kind of work for God, long work, laborious work, 120 years, that kind of work for God in the midst of great wickedness provide a very, very powerful evidence of a God who exists and a God who is real. I mean, why else would he do this? He does this because there's a God who exists and a God who is real and, he, and there's a big, big, there's a, there's a door that, and there's an invitation for everyone who can come, can come because that's the kind of God that he is. He's gracious. He's a gracious God. Whoso will may come. And in the same way, our faith and the way that we work in obedience to God, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the consequences, in spite of the ridicule, in spite of public opinion, that's the thing that the author of Hebrews says will provide evidence and proof of things unseen, about the fact of God and the truth of the Bible and the threat of judgment and the need for salvation and the hope of heaven and the magnitude of grace. And we could go on through the whole chapter of Hebrews Hebrews 11 and see the way that all these people of faith and some of the things that they did provide evidence that God is not dead, God is very much alive and God has actually changed my life. This is the way, this is why I live this way. This is the way why I do these things. This is why we're so different from everyone else because God is real and God has changed my life. His salvation is real. His heaven is real. And if you want things, if you want proof of things uns, that things unseen do exist, then just look at my life. Look at the evidence of my faith. Now this is what we might call the evangelistic value of faith, the apologetic value of faith. when we're seeking to provide evidences for the truth of the Bible, for the existence of God, for salvation in Christ and Christ alone, one of the things that we can do is to tell people how God has changed your life. One of the best things that you can do is to tell people how God, who really does exist, is the one responsible for this remarkable change in our lives. Personal testimony of changed lives. That's what Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and through that come to glorify your Father which is in heaven. A transformed life, a life of faith, continual, persistent faith in the Lord, walking with the Lord each day, working for the Lord, worshipping the Lord. A life of faith like that has tremendous evangelistic power. How else do we account for the remarkable change that occurred in the lives of the disciples, that is what they were before Calvary and Pentecost and what they were then after Calvary and Pentecost. The only way to account for the change there is that they understood, they came to believe, they understood that Jesus was a very, very real saviour and in fact risen from the dead 
And the Holy Spirit was a very, very real person and had taken up a residence in their lives. Two things. They believed these two truths. And to the watching world, there was no denying it. The proof was there to all, for all to see. The risen, ascended Saviour, the indwelling Spirit, things unseen, yet no doubt very real. And their faith and the outworking of it made it abundantly clear. And this is what these Hebrew people needed. Not something new, not something different. They want a special case, different from everyone else. This is the, what God's people have always been like, people of faith who continue to believe in spite of difficulties, in spite of hardship. This is what these people needed to believe, to persevere in this kind of faith. They needed to, to keep on going for their own sakes. And this is what the author of Hebrews says, there is a great re recompense coming to you. There is a great reward coming. Don't give up. Okay? Don't forfeit your reward by becoming unfaithful at this point. Sure, you may have lost everything on earth, but there is so much coming to you in heaven, so much reward for faithfulness in heaven. For your own sakes, don't give up. Keep going. And also then for the sake of others, don't give up. Keep going. Because your faith and your perseverance in faith gives remarkable, powerful evidence to the things that we believe in, the things which are true, things which other people need to be convinced about. And maybe they won't be convinced by looking at creation, and maybe as well, they won't even be convinced by looking at the Bible. Blind eyes. But the impact of your life of faith, day after day after day, worshipping the Lord, working for the Lord, walking with the Lord, life of faith, has tremendous evangelistic value and power. Trust and obey. Remember the hymn? For there's no other way. Very simple. It comes down. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And I, I, pr I appreciate the hymn. We're not going to sing it tonight, but I do appreciate every time we sing it. It's a great, wonderful message. But the emphasis is, is for, how, for, us, for us to be happy, and that is true. But what about trust and obey for there's no other way to, to make the Lord happy? Without faith it's impossible to please him. Sure, we want to be pleased with our own life. But we need to be thinking about how, how can I best please the Lord? What kind of life best pleases the Lord? 1 Corinthians 10 reflects back on Old Testament history. The Israelites died in the wilderness. With many of them, God was not well pleased. You don't want to be like that. Don't want to be like that. Faith pleases the Lord. Faith is the title deed of unrealized possession. It brings the future within the realm of the present. Faith is the invisible proof, is the visible proof, sorry, of unseen realities. It brings the invisible into the realm of the seen. It's a vital thing. It's a powerful thing. It's the way that we begin. It's the way that we continue. We're justified by faith. And the just shall live by faith. Faith cometh by hearing. 
and hearing by the word of God. So feed your faith with the word of God. That's one of the things we've been doing tonight, sharing the word of God as a means of feeding our faith, strengthening our faith. You know, there are many voices in the world, deceivers are thereabouts, all about us, deceiving and being deceived themselves. There are many voices in the world which are deceiving and will deceive you. Okay? Don't think you're beyond deception. Many other voices, many voices will undermine your faith. Okay? It's, it's the agenda of the world to undermine the faith of the Christian. And we have to be very, very careful of the voices that we listen to and all the more reason to be listening to the voice of God. Things are going to be feeding our faith and nourishing our faith and building us up in the faith. Hebrew Christians are about to say, I've had enough, too much. Give it all away. And don't think it couldn't happen to you. Don't think it couldn't happen to you. Don't listen to the other voices. Rather, feed your faith on God's word. Be in God's house as often as you can. There's Bible reading programs, I don't know, about 14 and 15 options there. Spoiled for options. Doesn't do any good if you don't do one of them. Let's feed our faith on the Word of God. It's a vital thing. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the, uh, the, the book of Hebrews, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians. Thank you for the Bible, the things contained in it. I thank you that uh, Hebrews uh, addresses a, uh, a situation where we're sad about the situation. Uh, we're sad to read about people who were on the point of just giving up in their faith. Uh, and yet we thank you that the, the word of God speaks very directly to that situation. Uh, we're glad for that. Thank you for giving us your inspired word. And Lord, I do pray that we would value your word, help us to treasure it. Uh, Lord, it's, it's, um, it's, it's milk for us. We grow thereby. It's meat for us. We're strengthened by it. Well, Lord, I do pray that we would find ourselves, <clears throat> give ourselves to the word of God so that our faith is nourished and strengthened. Lord, help us <clears throat> to be people of faith this year. Uh, Lord, there'll be, there'll, there'll, there'll be times, there'll be situations, there'll be circumstances uh, when we feel that it's just too much, it's too hard, it's too difficult, uh, there's no point uh, continuing in this kind of service or in this kind of worship, this kind of relationship. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, help us to resist such temptations and to be inspired by the faithful example of others. Uh, thank you for those who were faithful. They obtained a good report. And I pray, Lord, that we stand, when we stand before you, we'll also receive a a good report as well. Thank you that you give us encouragement. You've promised us great reward for those who are faithful till Jesus comes. Lord, thank you that we are assured of your coming. The Lord is coming. He will not, he will not tarry. Uh, you'll come exactly on time, exactly at the appointed time. Uh, Lord, help us to be found faithful till Jesus comes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>